0: Three church-going workers, co-workers. Notice I said church-going co-workers. I didn't need that anyway. Three church-going co-workers decided they were going to start buying a lottery ticket every week. Well, you might guess, after about a month, they hit it big. Of all the things, after a month, they hit it big. They won a million dollars. Now, remember, I said they're church-goers. The first guy wanted to seem spiritual to the other two, so he said, this is such a blessing from God. How much should we keep for ourselves, and how much should we give back to God? So he had a suggestion. He said, I think we should draw a circle and throw all the money up into the air, and whatever falls in the circle, we'll give to God. Whatever falls outside the circle, we'll keep. Well, the second guy, remember I told you they're churchgoers. The second guy wanted to seem more spiritual than the first guy. After all, they'd won a million dollars. So he says, you know, it's pretty windy today. And I think we should throw the money up in the air, and whatever lands in the the circle, we'll keep. Remember, it's windy today. A lot of that's going to blow. And whatever blows outside the circle, we'll give to God. After all, we just won a million dollars. Now, the third friend wanted to impress the first two about being even more and more and more spiritual than they are. He said, you know what, I've got an idea. I think we should throw all the money up into the air and whatever God wants, he can keep and anything hits the ground's ours. (laughs) Why all this talk about money anyway? Two weeks in a row of money. That's usually not very healthy for a church. Unless you realize it's been three years since I talked about finances in this church. Three years. The Bible warns us about the power of lust. Listen carefully to what I'm about to say. I've already mentioned that I'm convinced this is the very word of God. and He knows who we are more than we know who we are ourselves. And he warns us about the power of lust and how lust can drive people Into madness. Lust can convince people to sell their souls for junk. To sell their eternal for the temporary. Lust can do that to you. Lust can make you sell the permanent for the temporary. And I'll tell you, it's a terrible trade. Lust can convince people to walk away from God. Don't tell me it can't, because I've watched it. You've seen it. Lust can make people walk straight away from God, turn their back on God. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. There it is. That's God speaking through the Holy Spirit to the church. Verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. What? This love, this lust of money. I want you to understand that the love of money is the lust of money. Money in itself is not evil. Let me say it again. There's nothing wrong with money. You can lay out money on a table and it'll just lay there. It doesn't come out at night when you turn the lights off and sneak into your bedroom and take your children. It just lays there. There's nothing evil in itself about money, but the lust of money is the root of many kinds of evil. Why? Because money can be a trap. You want it, and you think you can handle it. I meet a lot of people that think they can handle money, and then it ends up money handles you. I ask you a question today, how much is enough? It's a real question, how much is enough? That question reveals the problem with our own heart. How much is enough? What would be enough for you? If you've got a job and they pay you a certain amount of money every week, how much is enough for you? Have you got in your mind that that would be enough, that you would like to go to your boss and say, if you'd give me this, that'd be enough? Are you sure? Would it be enough a month later? Two months later? How much is enough? Are you sure? Is what you have now enough? Are you satisfied? Are you content? Now, the reason I ask that is to say this. Do you know what three verses come before those two verses that I just read from 1 Timothy? Now, let me it says, I just read to you that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And many people have found destruction by pursuing money by pursuing satisfaction or contentment through money now let me back up i'm going into this backwards on purpose and read to you the three verses that come before those verses verse 6 true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth after all we brought nothing with us when we came into the world and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. We brought nothing with us when we arrived. In fact, I've noticed something. We've had three children. I was there at the birth of all three children. And been around a lot of families that have birthed children. And I've noticed a consistency. Every one of those kids came into the world buck naked. And you know, there's not a person in this room that would question that. But the reality is, there's a whole lot of people, perhaps even in this room today, that are struggling with the idea that you're going to leave here with nothing. Nothing. Then why are you trying to take hold of that which you cannot keep? Why are you pursuing so intensely that which you cannot hold on to? Is money evil? Money is not evil. It's not the problem. Godliness with contentment is great wealth. To have enough and to be content, to have enough and to be satisfied. So how I go back to the question, how much is enough? Are you sure? Enough is enough, and you will only find enough when you connect yourself to the inexhaustible supply of God's wealth. And you know what that is? Let me say it again. Enough is enough. How do you know when you've got enough? Enough is enough when you connect yourself to the inexhaustible supply of God's wealth. And you know what that's called? Do you know what that's called? It's called life. And when God connects Himself to you, He has connected you to life itself. It is an inexhaustible supply of His breath in my lungs. Focus on verse 7 to see this truth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave. Why would you settle to be content? with that which you cannot hold on to. Would that be enough? Let me give you a practical example. We came with nothing, we're going to leave with nothing. But right after that last day of nothing, can you imagine anybody saying, you know, I had a really nice car right before I died. Does that make any sense to you? You think anybody, you think the day after that last day, you came with nothing, you're going to leave with nothing. The day after that last day, can you imagine anybody saying, you know, I had a really nice car right before I died? It just doesn't make any sense. Who cares what kind of car you had right before you died? Because guess what? You don't have a car then. What about this one? You know, we lived in a really nice house right before we went to the lake of fire. Does that make any sense to you? What difference does it make what house you had when you are now in eternal lake of fire? What about this one? We lived a life of luxury right before we stepped down into the darkness. That's going to be consoling. That's going to be a sense of joy or contentment. Yeah, I used to be satisfied, but now I'm in the darkness. Listen carefully what I'm about to say. Money's not the issue. It's not. Money only reveals the reality of our own heart. It's like a barometer, like a meter that measures what's going on on in the inside of us and reveals to us who we really are, not who we think we are. What are you seeking? What are you pursuing? I'm asking. What are you seeking? What's your life's pursuit? What do you think will satisfy the longing of your soul? What will make you content? And what is it? Now I want you to focus on the word "it." What is it that will make you content? What is that it that will make you satisfied? How much of it would it take? What thing and how much what thing and how much would it take to satisfy you? to bring you contentment two friends met in the street one day one looked sad and almost at the verge of tears the other man said hey my friend how how come you look so sad you look awful what are you so sad for the sad friend said well let me tell you three weeks ago three weeks ago i had an uncle who died and he left me fifty thousand dollars That's why you're sad, the first guy asked. No, I'm just getting started. And then two weeks ago, I had a cousin that I never knew, and he died, and he left me $95,000 tax-free. That's why you're sad, the first guy asked. No, you don't understand it all. You're not getting it. And last week, my grandfather passed away, and I inherited a million dollars. Finally, this friend, he's flabbergasted. He says, I don't get it. Why does all of that make you so sad? The guy responded, and this week, nothing. (laughs) I'm going to ask you a question. How much would be enough for you? What would it take for you to say, I am satisfied. I am content. I have enough. I don't need anymore all I need has been supplied what is it that you thirst for would you know it if you found it I go to the gas station fill up with gas just like you do and I but I do something I watch people go in and out of these gas stations to buy lottery tickets sometimes I find it quite entertaining and if you're one of those people you I'm not mad at you. Somebody asked me one time, Preacher, do you think buying lottery tickets is a sin? I said, no, I don't think buying a lottery tickets is a sin. I just think it's stupid. Now somebody will meet me after church and say, Did you call me stupid? I don't know. Did you buy a lottery ticket? (laughs) But I go to gas stations and I watch people buy lottery tickets and I've come to this simple conclusion. Please don't take offense. I don't mean any. They're thirsty. They're thirsty and they're thinking this is their big chance to get a drink of contentment. This is my shot at getting a big drink of contentment. If I got that, I'd be satisfied. And if I got that, I'd be content. And I if I got that, my needs would all be met. And if I got that, I, 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 if, 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 if I I I. How many stories have you heard of people that actually won the lottery? only to find out that it actually destroyed their life. What if I told you? Listen carefully. Here's where I'm going with all this. What if I told you today that the very thing that your soul is thirsting for is already in your hands? That'd be big, wouldn't it? What if I told you today, and absolutely positively, not my opinion, based on the Word of God, the promises of God, the truth of God's Word, that the very thing your soul is thirsty for is already in your hands. It's not something that's going to happen, going to come, maybe out there you already have it. Would you listen to me? You don't need the government to give it to you. You don't need the lottery to give it to you. It's already in your hands. What you want is contentment. What you want is enough. What you want, your soul cries for, is the same thing mine cries for. To be satisfied. To not be thirsty. To not be hungry. To be filled and satisfied and content. What if I told you today that I can prove through God's Word It's already in your hands. I believe the Bible to be the only physical source of absolute truth on this earth. And today I will use the truth of God's Word to show you that what you need to be content is already in your hands. And before I do so, I need to make an apology to the church. I mentioned as I started today that it's been three years since I have preached on any kind of financial giving in this church. February 2014 was the last time I did it. Today, publicly in all three services, I will apologize to you. Now first, let me explain why it took three years. I I was raised in the church. I've watched preachers on TV. I've been exposed to preaching my entire life. And I've heard a lot of preachers talk about giving and about money. And many times they have turned me off because it seemed like it was based on greed or selfishness. And that kind of affected me in the way in which I didn't ever want to be one of those preachers. I didn't ever want to be somebody that you look at me and think that I'm trying to manipulate you into giving money to the church. So I backed off. I backed off. Today I apologize. Here's why. I have withheld from you the truth that would help you experience what I, what God showed me years ago, and I was wrong, I ask your forgiveness. Because I'm convinced that what I'm offering you today is a blessing. It's not a manipulation. It is what God revealed to me long time ago. It changed my life. I'm about to give you something that can change your life. If you'll listen. If you'll believe it. Are you ready? Say uh-huh. I begin with a story about one of God's prophets. He comes on the scene about 900 years B.C. He's not just any prophet, but he's the prophet that never died. I find that to be in itself significant. This prophet is going to come back right before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. This prophet's name is Elijah. And his story begins with the day that he, a prophet called of God, walks into the king Ahab, the king of Israel's office, and says, it's not going to rain and there's going to be no dew on this earth, in this area, until I say so. And he turns and walks out the door. What? He walks into the king's office and says, there's not going to be any more rain, there's not going to be any dew Until I say so, have a nice day, and he leaves. Some of you right now are thinking to yourself, what in the world does a 2,900-year-old story about a prophet, a king, and a drought have to do with me? Everything. I'm going to show it to you. And when you get it, and when you get it, You will perhaps for the first time in your life know what it means to be satisfied. What you need to find is true contentment. And it's already in your hand now. And if you'll listen to me, I'm going to show you what it is. What do you have to lose? Some of you, if you'd be honest, you've tried your whole life to do it your way and you're still thirsty. You've tried your whole life to do it your way and you're still hungry. You're not satisfied. You're still not content in your soul. Why don't you just listen? Just just listen to what I'm going to say. During the first part of this story, there is a national drought. Listen to me. A national, not a local drought, a national drought. And God, during this national drought, has told Elijah the prophet to go to the Kareth the brook. And at the Kareth brook, God is going to provide for his man, Elijah. In fact, birds, ravens, are going to deliver him food, meat, and bread every morning. And he's going to drink water from the Kareth brook. But something happens in the story. After a period of time, the Kareth Brook dries up, and the water stops to flow. Why? Because they're in a national drought. So God comes to Elijah and says, I need for you to move from the Kareth Brook to a widow's house in Zarephath. Let me read it to you. 1 Kings 17, verse 8. And then the Lord said to Elijah, now bear in mind, this is after the brook that he was drinking water from dries up. The Lord said to Elijah, go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I, God, have instructed a widow there to feed you. Don't miss it. God has instructed a widow in Zarephath to feed Elijah. So he went to Zarephath, as he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks and he asked her, would you please bring me a little water in a cup? As she was going to get it, he called to her, bring me a bite of bread too. Understand something clearly here, understand something, people are dying all around him death has come because of the drought it is a miserable dreadful circumstance the drought has brought starvation into the land elijah is walking by faith when he arrives at the widow's house and what's she doing as he steps through her gate into her yard what's she doing she's picking up sticks He then asked her for water, and he asked her for bread. Did you catch it? Would you give me a cup of water? And while she turns to get him some water, a very precious commodity in a drought. And if that's not enough to ask this lady for water, what does he say next? And I would like to have some bread. Now I want you to understand this. As we move on today, here's the foundation. Water and bread represent life. Water and bread, water and food represent life. There's nobody in this room that can live without it. You cannot live without water and food. You cannot. I cannot. Nobody can. Water and food represent life itself. And Elijah has stepped into her yard of a widow, picking up sticks and said, I need life from you. I need water and I need bread. I need food, I need water. Now where has Elijah been getting these before that day? He's been at the Kareth Brook. God has supplied him water and the ravens, the birds, have delivered him bread and meat each day. You might say that the ravens at the Kareth Brook have been providing for Elijah, but you'd be wrong because I ask you, where did the ravens get it? Do birds normally bring you lunch? God was supplying Elijah. So what does the widow say in response to Elijah's request for bread and water? Remember, God has already told Elijah that he has instructed her to feed him. Go to verse 12. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. And I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal and then my son and I will die. I don't know about you, but when I read it, it makes me very sad. When I read this, I understand what's going on in this town of Zarephath. Death. They're starving to death there. These are real people. Can you imagine this happening? If you're going to understand this story, you're going to have to realize what would it be like in Lawrenceburg if this scene took place? That there, has been, there have been no crops. The Kentucky River's dry. There's no water. There's a national drought. We're in crisis. Do You understand? These are real people. It's not a metaphor. It's not a story. These are real people. You and I know it wasn't actually Elijah's idea. See, here's the thing. I wondered, she probably has no idea that Elijah's the one that stopped the rain. Elijah's the one who said, there's not going to be any rain, there's not going to be any dew until I say so. She probably doesn't know that he's the one that brought this disaster into the land, proclaimed through him by the very word of God. You and I know it wasn't actually Elijah's idea, but it would sure look like that to the people who are starving and dying of thirst. You see, God had specifically told Elijah to stop the rain and the dew. And you must ask the question, why? Is he just mean? God has specifically told Elijah to go to this woman's house. Why? To watch her die? Do you think that's it? No. God told Elijah to go there and get something to eat. Listen, God has told Elijah, who's been eating out of birds, delivery program, and drinking from the Kareth Brook, and he has specifically told Elijah, I want you to go to this widow's house and get something to eat. Just like he told him to go to the Kareth Brook, Elijah is following the Word of God. What does any of this have to do with anybody in this room today? I'm going to say it again everything because i'm going to ask you a question what's in your hand what does this have to do with us in this room i'm going to ask you what's in your hand right now what's in your hand i'm going to repeat verse 12. she said i swear by the lord your god that i don't have a single piece of bread in the house not one and i have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug and I was gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal and then my son and I will die. No bread in her hand, not one piece. What's in her hand? What's in your hand? So what is in her hand? Did you notice that there's four things in her hand? Four things. So many times when it comes to supply, our needs, satisfaction, contentment, we all think of first what we don't have. And God says, will you look at what you do have today? What's in her hand? Four things. She has a handful of flour. She has a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. She has a few sticks. She's picking up in the yard. Don't miss the fourth one. She has a son. Now you might look at the story and say, that's all she does have. Everything else is pretty much gone. But she has four things. Don't focus on what you don't have. This is not going to ever be about what you don't have. The question is, what do you have? And I'm going to ask you right now, what if I told you today that the very thing that will bring you contentment is already in your hand? It really doesn't matter how much you have. It's what you do with what you do have that's going to matter. Do you know how Elijah is going to respond to this dying widow? She said, I don't have a single piece of bread in the house, and you've just asked me for bread. We're dying here, and you've asked me for bread. What's he going to say? What's he going to say? Don't be afraid. And then Elijah is going to make a very strange request in the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. Verse 13, but Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said. But make a little bread for me first. Don't miss it, please don't miss it. But make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and for your son. The widow who has very little in her hand has just encountered the word of God. And can I say, so have you the widow that has very little in her hand has just encountered not the word of elijah no no she has encountered the very word of god because the god's word has sent elijah to her yard and what did god say i want you to first give elijah bread i want you to use that little bit of flour and that little bit of oil that little bit that's in your hand To give to me first. And if you do. What's left over. You can make some for yourself. Now the, the human mind would say. There won't be anything left over. What will she do when she encounters the word of God. Through the man of God. Listen here's the question. What will she do. When she encounters the word of God. Through the man of God. Pause. What will you do. When you encounter the Word of God, would you give Elijah the first of your last meal? Remember, she's got a hungry son starving to death. This is our last meal, we're gonna die. Would you give Elijah the last, the first of your last meal? Would you? Why does he want the first of this oil? Why does he want the first of this flower? Does that seem reasonable to you from a dying woman in a starving land? Does it seem reasonable to ask for the first? What does God and Elijah offer this starving widow in return? What's the offer of God? Just to come and take what you've got? No, 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 no. You don't know who God is. What does he offer her in return for the first? Some of you right now are already getting it. Some of you still aren't getting it. Listen to what he offers. Verse 14. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. This is not what Elijah says. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers. What? There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again well there it is there is the offer of god the word of god through the man of god now i want to paraphrase the offer of god because it doesn't matter whether you're a widow in zarephath or you're in anderson county kentucky 2017 doesn't matter because here's the promise of god here it comes give me the first And I will multiply that which remains until the time of renewal comes. I'm gonna say it again. Give me the first, and I will multiply that which remains until the time of renewal comes. That's what he's offered that widow. Give me the first, I will multiply that which remains. There will always be flour in that container, there will always be oil. In that container when until it rains and a crop is produced which will then physically supply what I will now supernaturally supply in the middle do you believe it do you see it this is the key to enough This is the very essence of contentment. Why? Because this is supernatural. This is not physical. It's supernatural. You know what the word supernatural means? It means none of us can do it. Natural means I can do the natural. I can't do the supernatural. Only God can do the supernatural. Why does it have to be the first? That becomes the logical Physical question. Why does it have to be the first? Can't it be the leftovers? Can't she fix a loaf of bread for her and her son and give Elijah the leftovers? No. Because it's not the offer of God. It's the offer of man. And man is natural. God is not. God's offer is this. Listen, God's offer is this. Give me the first, and I will multiply that which remains until the time of renewal comes. Has he ever made you that offer? I'm going to tell you he has. I'm going to prove to you he has. He's made me that offer. Terry, give me your first, and I will multiply that which remains until the time of renewal comes. So what's she going to do? She's received the offer. Is Elijah going to take her flour and oil by force? No. Is God going to feed Elijah? Listen. Yes. Yeah, he's going to feed Elijah. The question isn't about whether or not Elijah is going to survive. He has already believed God about this whole first thing. God's been sending birds to deliver him food. It's not about Elijah anymore. You see, Elijah's already decided to believe. The question is whether or not she's going to. And, relatively, the question is whether or not you're going to. The question is whether or not the widow and her son are going to believe God about this first thing and survive. Verse 15. And she did as Elijah said. And she and Elijah and her son continued to eat for many days. How'd that happen? Supernatural. And she and Elijah and her son, they did what? They continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers just as the Lord had what promised through Elijah. So I'm going to ask you a question. Here it comes again. So what's in your hand right now? Don't focus on what you don't have. You see, the problem with natural man is we think we would be satisfied or content or, not, or have our thirst satisfied and no longer hungry if I had something else. No, 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 you're missing it. It's already in your hand. It's already, you already have it. It has nothing to do with the amount. I'll bet you everybody in this room has got more stuff than that widow at Zarephath. It's not based on how much is in your hand. It's what's in your hand. Would you give God the first of what you have in your hand? I'm asking. Would you, all of you, and I hold myself to the same standard I will hold you to. Would you, will you, do you give God the first of what's in your hand? Yes or no? It's so easy to read a story about somebody else. But this story is about you, and this story is about me. Would you take his offer? L- listen, I'm going to tell you a spiritual truth. You would if you believed him. Don't tell me you wouldn't. If you believed that if you gave God your first, he would supernaturally multiply everything that remains until the time of renewal, you'd take him up on it. Yes, you would. Yes, you would. Don't tell me you wouldn't, because yes, you would. Because that's the deal of all deals, that's better than the lottery. He'll multiply everything you got. Supernatural application of his wealth. His wealth is inexhaustible. You believed him? You'd give him first. Give me the first and I'll multiply what remains until the time of renewal. Do you think this is an isolated story? Or maybe this. Maybe you think this is a one-time event and I, the preacher, am manipulating it so that you'll give more money to the church. I guarantee you there's somebody in the room that that, if you'd be honest, that's what you think. Well, that's a cleverest manipulation I've ever heard, preacher. I've already apologized to everybody in the church that I don't talk about this stuff more. Why? Because this is the secret to contentment as a child of God. This is it. Why would I not give you this? Why would you not take it? There's only one logical answer. You still don't believe it. Well, I do. I do. You know, that widow gave what she possessed to receive what she did not possess. That's supernatural. So I'm going to ask you a question today. What do you need? If you give God what you have, He will give you what He has. And I'll reveal to you a mystery. What He has is what you need. What he has is what you need. It's like sowing seeds in the future. You are holding the key to your future in your hand right now. Just like the widow standing with Elijah that day. You're holding the key to your future in your hand. That oil, that flour, it may have left her hand when she put it in the oven. That oil, that flour may have left her hand that day, but it did not leave her life. God multiplied it. God created her future by her releasing from her hand that small first to God. Think of that oil and that flower as seeds that she sowed in front of God that day. Interesting to me that one of Jesus' parables is about a farmer who goes out to sow seeds. Why, Why does Jesus use the analogy? Jesus talks about this farmer and understanding that Jesus in the story is the farmer. He's the only one that has any seeds to give out. The seeds are the word of God. When Jesus tells the parable, he says that some of the seeds fell on the path. They didn't last very long. And some fell upon rocks and they didn't last very long and some fell among thorns and they lasted a while until they got choked out by the worries of life. But then there are some seeds that someone let go of into their future and look at what they do. Luke chapter 8, Jesus says, still other seeds fell on fertile soil. This seed grew and produced a crop that was a hundred times as much as had been planted supernatural multiplication when he had said this Jesus he called out anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand I wonder today are you listening God has given you and I seeds God has given things he has placed them in our hands and we are to sow those seeds by faith into our future This is about supernatural multiplication. And if you don't like it, you don't believe it, go and play the lottery. Good luck with that. When the widow handed Elijah her first piece of bread, she was sowing seeds not only into her future. Listen, church. You want it to get personal? Here it comes. When that widow handed the first piece of bread to Elijah, she wasn't just sowing seeds into her future. She was sowing seeds into her son's future. She's got a boy that's starving to death. When the offering plate comes by, as it did a few minutes ago, guess what? Everybody in this room is deciding two things. Maybe you don't like to think about it, but you are. You're deciding two things. Number one, you're deciding what you believe to be true about God. Is He who He says He is? Then number two, you're deciding your financial future do you want supernatural applied to your life do you when that offering plate comes by it's your opportunity to say god i believe that my first belongs to you it's your breath in my lungs singing that song's a piece of cake but giving him the first is not cake it's faith it's believing that he is who he says he is and he says if you'll give me the first I will take that which remains and I will supernaturally multiply it until the time of renewal comes. Do you believe him? You think, well, no, no, that was an offer he gave to Elijah to a widow in Zarephath. That's not to me. Really? Really? What's in your hand? Don't focus on what you don't have. As if somehow or another, if you had what you don't have, you'd be content. No, you won't. If you're not content with what you've got right now, then you're looking in the wrong place for contentment. What's in your hand? David had a sling. You think it made any sense to walk down and face a giant with a slingshot? Really? God multiplied it. Moses had a stick. He walks into Egypt, the most most powerful nation on earth, with a stick. God multiplied. Elisha had 12 yoke of oxen. Elisha had 12 yoke of oxen when God called him to give his first. You know what he did? He slaughtered all 12 of them and walked away from his past into a future where God would supernaturally multiply his life. Matthew had a good job at the irs and he walked away peter andrew james and john they all had bass boats and they turned and walked away actually they were called fishing boats in those days after the first service this morning i was out in the lobby and i finished this sermon there's a couple that walked up to me and and the guy said you just cost me a motorcycle this morning preacher <laughs> The widow had a handful of flour and a little oil. But listen, listen to what I'm saying. And she had a son. Parents, will you listen to me? She had a little handful of oil and she had a little flour, but she had a boy. And he's watching to see what mama's going to do. He's going to find out who mama really is. Not who mama thinks she is. He's going to find out who mama is. Because a man of God has come with the word from God. And will mama believe God? A son, she held his life in her hand that day. If you read the story, she was making their funeral meal before Elijah walked into her yard. What about her son? This is the grand finale. Here it comes. Verse 17 sometime later the woman's son became sick he grew worse and worse and finally he died then she said to elijah "O man of god what have you done to me have you come here to point out my sins and kill my son but elijah replied give me your son and he took the child's body from her arms carried him up the stairs to the room where he was staying and laid the body on his bed then elijah cried out to the lord Oh, Lord, my God, why have you brought tragedy to this widow who has opened her home to me, causing her son to die? And he stretched himself out over the child three times and cried out to the Lord, Oh, Lord, my God, please let this child's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's prayer, and the life of the child returned, and he revived. Then Elijah brought him down from the upper room and gave him to his mother. Look, he said, your son is a love. Then the woman told Elijah, Now I know for sure that you are a man of God and that the Lord truly speaks through you. Do you want the supernatural attached to your life now, in the future? Listen, real question, do you want, I do, do you want the supernatural, that's beyond beyond man's ability, do you want the supernatural applied to you and your life in the future? Because I'm going to tell you, one day you will. You're going to. Do you want it now? Your children and your children's children are going to be affected by what you do with what's in your hand. I want to say it again. Your children, your legacy is going to be, is right now being affected by what you do with what's in your hand. They are watching you. And I'll tell you what, God is too. Now, here's the biggest thing I'm about to say today. Listen. Do you think it's a coincidence or an accident that this offer of God to give the first? Do you think it's an accident or a coincidence that this offer of God to give him the first produced the resurrection of the dead? Do you see it? Do you think it's a coincidence that this offer of God to this woman, if if she would give him the first... What did it produce? Ultimately, what was the grand finale? What did it produce? You might say, well, the, grand, the, the, the big event was the, the oil. It never disappeared. The flour, it never disappeared. No, you're still not getting it. What did it produce? It produced the resurrection of the dead. Do you see it? You wonder why Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself. You must take up a cross and follow me. What do you mean? You want a resurrection from the dead? I'll offer you one. It's not just about meeting your physical needs. Because I'm going to tell you what, you can have food and water your entire life. One day you're going to die. You can eat healthy All that junky stuff that's nasty. If you want to and exercise, do all you want to. Guess what? One day you're still going to die. Guess what? He offers you and I a resurrection from the dead. If you'll give him the first. If you'll deny yourself. What do you mean? What do you think denying yourself is? Give him the first. Take up a cross. What? Not my will, but yours be done. I'll produce a resurrection from the dead. Do you believe it? I do. Yes, I do. If, and, and if you're, do you see Jesus in this story? Because I do. I see Jesus in this story. If you think this is a coincidence or an accident or maybe a manipulation, then you probably still think this sermon's about money. Maybe you're in the room today and you still think this is about money. This is not about money. This is about your life. You will die without bread and you'll die without water. But I'm going to tell you, listen, 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 listen. You'll die without food and water. It's, it's a given. But you'll also die without life. And where do you think you're going to get food? And where are you going to get water? And where are you going to get life? Because ultimately, here's the question of the day. That widow had to answer that question. Elijah had to answer that question. And Terry Cooper has to answer that question. And you are too. You're going to die without food and water. And you're going to die without life. And God has offered us all food, water, life. you believe him? Give me your first, and I will supernaturally multiply that which remains until the time of renewal comes. God doesn't need you to give him your first. You do. God doesn't need you to give him anything. You do. God doesn't need anything. You and I need everything. When God called out the people of Israel to be His own possession, He gave them this command. Leviticus 27. One-tenth of the produce of the land. It's the idea of the first fruits. One-tenth of the produce of the land. grain Whether it's grain from the fields or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. And it must be set apart to Him as holy. Does God need grain and does God need fruit? No! Why does He ask for it? But you need to give it to Him. Why? Because giving it to Him keeps us from forgetting where it all comes from. Money's not evil. Remember I gave out $30 last weekend. I'm still recovering from that. <laughs> last Sunday, two of those people came and gave me a dollar back. That was the deal, right? I give you 10 All wants one back. Today, the third one came in. All three of them tithed. Well, I'm going to tell you what, that's not evil. There's nothing wrong with that. Until that becomes the pursuit of your life, thinking that contentment will be found inside of this. And it becomes evil. But it's still not evil, it's your heart that's gone evil. You see, the problem with the pursuit or the lust of money is it takes your heart away from true treasure. True treasure never expires, it never perishes, it never fades. Jesus said this about true treasure. I'd listen to him if I was you. Matthew 6, 19, don't store up treasures here on earth. Where moth eats them, rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven. Where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Why? Why? Why does he even say that? It's verse 21. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. This is about your heart. So I ask you today, are you hungry? Are you thirsty or are you satisfied? Are you content? Do you have enough? So really, what about the day after the last day? What about the day after the last day? Because I'm going to tell you what, whether Jesus comes or whether we face physical death, there's going to be a last day. What about the day after the last day? Will you be hungry then, thirsty then, satisfied then? It's interesting when Jesus tells the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. What's the parable? That, That the rich man cries out, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to give me a drink because I'm thirsty He's not satisfied. What about the day after the last day? Will you be satisfied? Jesus says, I'll I'll satisfy you in eternity. Will you be content the day after the last day? This is not just about you. This is about your children and your grandchildren and they're watching to see what you're going to do with what's in your hand. I'll let Jesus have the last word today. John 6, 35. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never, never be hungry again. You want enough? Here it is. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me. Here's the reality. But you haven't believed in me, though you have seen me. However, those the Father has given me will come to me, and I will never reject them. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of all who is given to me, but that I should, here it comes, here it comes, here it comes, but I will raise them up at the last day. For it is my Father's will that all who see the Son and believe in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise them up at the last day. This is the treasure. I will raise them up at the last day. I'll ask Corey to come out for the invitation. God's made you an an offer. Give me the first, and I will supernaturally... Multiply that which remains until the time of renewal comes. And you know what's going to happen at the time of renewal? He's going to raise you up at the last day. And you'll never be hungry and you'll never be thirsty and you'll never be in want because you have attached your life to the inexhaustible supply of God. Do you believe Him? My responsibility is I must tell you. Today, I have told you what it is to be content, what it is that satisfies. Do you believe Him? What will you do when you encounter the Word of God? The invitation's open. Let's stand.